0: Let's read tonight the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14, and I want to begin reading on verse number 22, and then I'm going to ask you, if you will, to stay with me. I have five things to say about this text tonight. Now, that's one more than four, but thank God, one less than six. Can I have an amen? And so listen, I'm going to be done with this message when I get done. I promise you. So uh, let's read tonight the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 14. Look at verse 22. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while he sent the multitude away. And uh, when he had sent the multitudes away, he went up into a mountain to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them, saying, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, Come. And when Peter, uh, when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked from the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried, saying, Lord, save me. But when he, uh, verse 31, And immediately Jesus stretched forth his hand and called him and said unto him, O thou of little faith, wherefore didst thou doubt? Uh, and, when he, and when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying, Of a truth, thou art the Son of God. What a great story. And I want to give you five truths from this story about the storms tonight. Stay with me for a moment. Father, bless your word, and I pray you speak to our hearts tonight. May we find encouragement in this good text. God, may the Spirit of God help us, maybe somebody, maybe several somebodies, in this building tonight that's struggling in the storm. Lord, it's amazing how that we can sit here and sit on the same pew and just right down the row, there's a person sitting there and the sun's shining and their life. Everything's going good. And just four or five seats down, there's somebody right there in the midst of a terrible storm. God, I pray that you'd help us tonight and speak to our hearts in this place. And may again we find encouragement from this text, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. A couple of weeks ago, I was out in the state of Kentucky preaching a revival at the Unity Baptist Church. This church, Unity Baptist Church, is located right outside of the town of Mayfield, Kentucky. I was there back in November of 2021, and a couple of weeks after I left uh, the, the area, if I left to come back home, a terrible storm hit the area of Mayfield, Kentucky. During that storm, the uh, storm was so fierce, it spawned an EF3 tornado with the winds of more than 140 miles per hour. And that tornado went right downtown Mayfield, Kentucky. Now, as you might well imagine, with the winds of 140 miles an hour, there was a whole lot of damage and a whole lot of destruction to that little town. And when I went back this year, I was surprised to see that uh, the, the downtown area was still had a lot of destruction and a lot of rubbish. There were places where the buildings were just piled up in a heap where they hadn't carried off the, uh, the, the, the devastation from all that. There was twisted steel everywhere all throughout the city. And then, of course, there was the uh, whole... Whole blocks uh, downtown Mayfield that were just empty now, that were just open fields where the buildings were torn down and they'd carried off the ruin uh, of the mall. People are still to this day, and here we are, what, a year, several months later. Here we are. They're still putting their lives back together. I was in a restaurant one morning, and I was eating breakfast, and uh, there was an elderly couple that come in and sat in the booth right across from where I was sitting at. And uh, as I started to leave, they struck up you know, this conversation. And I had to ask them if they were there during the storm, and they said, we lost everything in that storm. And they said, whereas many of our neighbors are waiting on insurance settlements settlements to build their home back, he said, we went out and bought a double-wide. So we have moved back into our home now, having lost everything. And he said, many of our neighbors are still not back in their homes to this day. Now, when I heard that story when I rode through downtown and saw what used to be there that's not there anymore, I couldn't help but think about, you know, stories like that really bother me. You know, we in our own area, we're approaching that time of the year when we face the possibilities of very violent storms and tornadoes you know, when I was a child, it seemed like storms didn't even bother me. About the only thing storms did to me when I was a child was frustrate me because we had to come in from playing outside when storms come up. And for some reason, and I love my mom, and she's probably listening to this tonight, but never understood why we had to go to bed during the time of a storm. She'd make us go in and lay down on the bed. We had to be quiet when storms come up when I was young. But the older that I have gotten... The more that stories like that bother me. You know, almost nightly on the news, you see where tornadoes have gone through entire towns and people's Clothes are hanging in, in the tree limbs of, of twisted off branches and, and homes have been destroyed. I don't know about you, but those things bother me now. The possibilities of that happening and what can happen really trouble me. I used to be of the mentality that things like that can never happen here, but that is no longer the case. There are three things about storms that really bother me. The first thing about storms is, number one, they're unpredictable. You just never know when one of those violent storms are going to come up. Now, of course, I know with Doppler radar and satellite imagery in our day, you know, we got you know, pretty smart meteorologists today that can kind of predict, you know, this could happen, whatever. But, you know, really in reality, even when they come, they're still very unpredictable. You never know. Oh, they can warn us the possibilities are there. But really it's unpredictable where they're going to hit at and where they're going to spawn those very violent tornadoes. Storms are unpredictable. Number two, the second thing about, that bothers me about storms is storms are impartial. You know, the storms don't look out the good people and spare them and destroy the homes of the bad people. You know, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus when he said this, he maketh it to rain on the just and the unjust. My dog has just walked up on the porch, and my ring telephone is telling me the dog is at the door. I'm sorry about that. I should have cut that down. I apologize for that. She'll be all right. Come here, girl. Hello, girl. I talk to that old dog all the time. I'm sitting in there and that crazy thing go off. I say, come here, girl. Look right here. She'll get up there and look right in that camera, look at me. But uh, anyway, what was we talking about now? Yes, sir, the Republicans and the Democrats. Storms are unpredictable and storms are impartial. They don't care who they hit. They might hit in a uh, in a neighborhood with million dollar homes. They might go through right downtown in the government housing projects. They're impartial. They know they know not the rich, they know not the poor, they know not the righteous from the evil. Storms are impartial and also storms number 3 are inevitable. Storms happen in our lives now while i'm thinking along the lines of a of a physical storm You know, we can also make application to those spiritual storms and those storms that we have to go through in this walk of life as well because storms to us in our own personal life, number one, they're unpredictable. You never know when you're going to have to face a storm. One call from the doctor with negative results from a recent MRI can put you in the storm of your life. They're unpredictable. One call from the highway patrol with the, I'm sorry to inform you of this, but your loved one has been killed in a wreck. That one storm can throw you, uh, that one thing, phone call, can throw you into a storm that you never saw coming. They're impartial. Things happen to good people just like they do bad people and vice versa. And storms are inevitable. You know, the truth of the matter is you may be sitting in this room tonight and things are going lovely in your life. Your bills are paid. Everybody's healthy. The car was running when you cut it off in the parking lot a few moments ago. But by this time tomorrow night, the wheels of your life may run off. You may find yourself facing the black clouds of a violent storm that's come out of nowhere in your life. Well, the truth of the matter is that's what this text is about tonight. This text is about a storm, a storm that blew up on the sea while the Lord's disciples were in and on, on a boat and in that storm. Well, this is nothing unusual from the text tonight because we often find storms in the life of the Savior. We often find these disciples in a storm uh, out on that sea. But the one thing that makes this storm different from the other storms that we read about in our New Testament is on this particular occasion, Jesus was not in the boat with them. No, sir. They were in that ship, and they were on that sea, in that boat, in that storm, without the Lord. This time, the Lord is not with them. They're in that boat. Subsequently, they're on that sea on that water by themselves, and this terrible storm arises. And as we look at this text tonight, and here's the message, there are five things from this text that we learn about the storms that come in this walk of life. Let me point them out to you, if I may, briefly. Let me say, number one, when it comes to storms, always remember this, the Lord sends. The Lord sends us sometimes. Into storms, now, if you doubt that, I want you to look at verse twenty two Well we read these words, and straightway Jesus constrained his disciples i mean I, th- th- these these men have got on this boat. And they're out on that water, and they're in that storm because the Lord has constrained them to go. Now, if we could play the synonym game for just a moment, think about that word constrained for just a moment. That word constrained means to force, or it means to drive, or it means to pressure or it means to make, or it even means to coerce. You know, we're told in the Bible, that word constrain, the same word compel. Jesus said to go out in the highways and hedges and compel people to come into my house, that my house may be filled. In other words, we're told from as, as God's people, we're to go out, we're to pressure people, we're to try to force people, we're to coerce people, we're to, we're to drive them, we're to try to make them to come to the house of God, and yet we read in this text that the Lord forced. Forced his disciples to get into that boat, to head off onto that sea knowing full well that a storm was about to overtake them. I tell you what, I don't think they wanted to go. If you look at verse number 22, Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before them onto the other side. I think they had some reservations about getting in that boat. That's the reason he had to constrain them. Maybe they already saw the black clouds gathering out there on the horizon of that sea. Maybe in a far off kind of a way They could hear the distant rumbling of the coming thunderstorm. Maybe they could see the far-off lightning flashing. And they'd been on that ship before, and they knew the violent storms. They'd been on that sea, and they knew the violent storms that could come out of nowhere. And maybe when the Lord said, hey, get in the boat and go before me under the other side, maybe they said, Lord, you know something, looking at that storm, we just don't want to go right now. We'd rather stay right here with you. Please don't make us go. Let us stay on this side of the storm. They were hesitant to to go and yet the Bible said, the Word of God said that the Lord constrained them to get into that boat and to go to the other side. The Lord knew full well what was about to happen and they knew full well what was about to happen. They were hesitant. They, they didn't want to go. They were being stubborn about it, but Jesus made them go. Now, the one thing I get out of that is this. Nobody in their right mind wants to go into a storm. Can I have an amen? None of us sitting in this room tonight, we don't want to go through a storm. If I could have my drivers about it, I'd face my last storm. By the way, I'm That one of these days we will not have to worry about storms anymore in this walk of life. But until we get over there and cross the city limit side into the new Jerusalem, storms are going to be a part of our lives. We don't want them. We don't like them. I I, I don't want to go into a storm. But the truth of the matter is sometimes, look at me now, the Lord sends us into a storm. We're like that little boy that I read about the other day. He was late for a Boy Scout meeting. And when he got there the man in charge looked at him and said, why are you so late? He said, well, sir, I was helping this little old lady across the street. He said, why in the world would that make you be so late? He said, because she didn't want to go. And ladies and gentlemen, the truth of the matter is when it comes to storms, look at me. I don't want to go. Can I have an amen. When it comes to storms, you don't want to go. And the attitude of these men uh, that that, that, uh, uh, didn't want to go to the storm, but the Bible said the Lord constrained them to go. Somebody has once said that all storms in life that we encounter are either Satan-induced, self-inflicted, or Savior-initiated. Let me say that one more time. Every storm that you and I will go through in life was either Satan-induced, self-inflicted, or Savior-initiated. What I mean by Satan-induced is sometimes Satan will try to blow a storm up in our life to destroy our faith to cripple us, to cause us to quit. Many times, and many people do in a time of a storm, say if this is the way it's going to be, God's not been fair. God's not been good to me. I was looking for that diagnosis. I didn't think I'd have to go to the cemetery right now. I didn't think I'd lose my job. I didn't think my kids would d- destroy and break my heart. I didn't think they'd turn aside from their uprearing. I didn't, th- I didn't see this happening. And Satan may have brought that storm into our life, to destroy our faith, and to get us to quit on God. Sometimes storms are Satan-induced. I'll tell you what, you say, preacher, uh, what about this storm right here? Does Satan have control of the elements? Well, let me just answer that by saying this. Jesus called him the God of this world. Jesus called him the prince of the power of the air. I'll tell you what I personally think. I don't think Jesus would have ever rebuked the storm that God sent, and yet when he rebuked rebuke the storm uh, in our text. You know what I'm saying? I'm saying Satan sent that storm that way. Jesus wouldn't rebuke his father, but when he rebuked the storm, in reality, he is rebuking Satan. So I believe with all my heart that Satan has some influence over the weather upon this earth. And all storms sometimes can be Satan-induced. Sometimes they can be self-inflicted. Sometimes we make our own storms. Sometimes because of our rebellion. And disobedience, just like Jonah. God said, Go there. Not on your life, Lord. I'm not going to Nineveh. No way. I'm headed to Tarshish. And we create our own storms because of our disobedience. Some of the choices that we make in life, we got nobody, we can't even blame the devil on some of the storms that we have to face in life. You know why? We made the dumb choice to go there. We made the stupid mistake of choosing the wrong thing and the bad decision, and it brought a storm and the black clouds and the wind and the rain and the thunder and the lightning into our life, and we got nobody to blame but ourselves. They were self-inflicted. And then sometimes their savior initiated sometimes Jesus sends us into the storm now you would say preacher why would the Lord send us into the storm here's a here's a reason because we can learn things in the storm about him that we can't learn in the sunshine am I right Sometimes Jesus comes along and says, you know something? You ain't been in the storm in a while. You know all sunshine and no rain makes a desert, don't it? If all we had was all sunshine, and I like the sunshine, especially living where I live now, praise God. Man, do I like the sunshine. But can I tell you something? If it just, if it just the sun shone all the time, that ground would become hard as a cinder block. Everything would dry up. The well would go dry. The the, the livestock would die. You couldn't get anything to grow. we got to have a storm once in a while to replenish the water, to cause things to grow. And every once in a while as a child of God, as much as we don't like it, we are constrained. We are forced. We are led by the Savior into a storm to cause us to learn things about Him that we could never learn in the sunshine. The Lord sins. But here's a second thing about the storms in our text that we find. Not only does the Lord send, but can I say this? The Lord sees. The Lord sees. Now we're not told specifically here in the Gospel of Matthew's account of this incident, but over in the Gospel of Mark he said something about this same incident that we're dealing with in Matthew chapter number 14. And we're told this over in the Gospel of Mark. We're told this, Mark 6, 48. It said, and he saw them. Now, wait a minute. They're in a storm. I mean, it's dark. The waves are crashing over the top of this boat. The lightning is flashing. The thunder is clapping. It's dark. Maybe it's foggy. And I mean, man, uh, this storm has enveloped that little boat. And they can't see him because he's out there on the mountain praying. He's up there on the top of that mountain. He's been busy sending the multitudes away, and, and they can't see him. But bless your heart, when they can't see him, when they're in that storm, all they can see is the black clouds and the thunder and the lightning and the water and the rain and feel the wind. That's all they can see. That's all they can feel. But bless your heart, when they're in the midst of that storm, they may not be able to see him, but bless your heart, he sure can see them. And he saw them. Can I just stop and say this? All of heaven's attention was focused on that little boat. Those disciples in the middle of that storm. Can I stop and say this? Rome didn't care anything about those disciples out there on that rough sea in that little boat. The Israelites, the the, uh, political leaders in the land of Israel didn't care anything about those that were on that boat. They cared nothing for those men or for those lives. But there was a Savior that had his eyes and his attention fixed on that little boat. They may not be able to see him, but bless your heart, he could see um, You know, there are many names that are given for God throughout the Bible. Now, of course, we talk about God and we talk about Jesus. But if you'll go back into the Old Testament, there's a lot of different names that are given uh, to Jesus in uh, in the Old Testament. But one of the names that I really like is this one right here. It's found in the gospel of uh, the the book of Genesis, chapter 16 and verse number 13. And this is when Hagar, her boy Ishmael, we're going to talk about that some next week, and, uh, and uh, she took him and she threw him over under a bush to die because Abraham had sent them away. And the Word of God said when she threw him over there, here's what she said. She said, Thou, God, seest me. Now, if you look that up, God seest me, look that up. That's the name El-Rohai. El-Rohai. And that simply means the Lord sees Aren't you glad that when we head off into those storms and maybe you're there tonight and it don't look like you're ever going to get out and all you can see is what's surrounding you and all you can hear is what's going on about you. Ladies and gentlemen, aren't you glad that we got a God that we can say, thou God seest me. God, you understand. And I like this. Watch this. Not only does he see them, but he's praying for them. Now, it may not help you. But that kind of helps me just a little bit to know that he has his attention, his eyes focused on that boat. They can't see him, but he sees them. And not only is he there, but if you look there in verse number 23, he not only sent them away and went up to the mountain, but the Bible said that while he is there, he is there praying for them. He sees them and he sends them. I'm reminded of this little boy. One time I heard about he misbehaved and his mama sent him to bed early and she went to his room. And she said, I'll tell you, because you've been like you've been today, you're going to get out here and pray before you go to bed. You're going to say your bedtime prayers before you go to bed. Well, he got down on his knees and he started praying and he prayed for his daddy and his brother and his sister, his grandma and his grandpa, his dogs, his chickens, and his buddies at school. Finally, when he got through praying, he looked up at his mom and he said, I guess you, you didn't hear your name called, did you? Because I and pray for you. But aren't you glad we got one that is constantly praying for us? Hey, we may make God angry. We may make God upset. We may frustrate God. We may have failure in their life. But I'm glad that when I get in a storm, I've got a God that's not only sees me there, but thank God I got one up yonder in heaven that's praying for me. And by the way, you can't get any better than the Son talking to the Father when you get in a storm. Amen. The Lord sins and the Lord sees. You're not by yourself in that storm. You may not see him, but bless your heart, he's seeing you. You're not by yourself. He's up yonder praying. I like that verse where it says, he is interceding for us. He is praying for us yonder at the right hand of God. The son is talking to the father tonight in the midst of your storm. He cares about you. He loves you. He's concerned about you. He, he loves you. And I'm just trying to say tonight, the Lord sins. He constrains us. But thank God where he sins, he sees. He sees us in the storm. But not only does he send, and not only does he see, but number three, the Lord speaks. In the midst of our storms, the Lord speaks. Look in our text, if you will. The Bible said in the fourth, verse number 24, the ship was now in the midst of the sea tossed with waves. For the wind was contrary in the fourth watch of the night. And by the way, that's the darkest part of the night, the fourth watch. From the hours of three in the morning until six at night, the darkest part of the night, here comes Jesus walking on the waters. You know something? He's about to teach those boys something about himself that they couldn't learn in the sunshine. So he constrained them to get into the boat. He constrained them to go to the other side. And when it looked like all was lost, when they thought, man, they were going to go down, that it was over, here come the Lord walking on the water. Here he comes when they need him the most. Now, if you look at verse 26, they thought he was a ghost. Look at verse 26. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It is a spirit. I mean, here are these disciples. They were afraid not only of the storm, they were afraid of the spirit. They thought he was a ghost. I heard about these two old boys one night that was working at a job at a funeral home, and one night they were there late, and there was a dead body in the back room. And they started hearing all kinds of noises and things happening back there. One of those boys looked over at that other boy and said, do you believe in ghosts? He said, no, but I sure am afraid of them. <laughs> and here come the Lord walking on the water. They thought it was a spirit. They were troubled by it. They thought it was a spirit. And then Jesus spoke up. If you'll look there in verse number 27, Jesus said, be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. You know, the one of the things that fascinates me about those hurricanes, I don't know if y'all are fascinated by stuff like that, but when they start saying one's blowing up and it's going here or it's going to go there, you know, they always talk about the eye of that storm. And you know, uh, that eye really determines the direction of that storm. That really, can I say it like this? The eye is in control of the storm. The eye guides that storm. I mean, they fly into the eye of that storm, the eye wall of that storm, to find out things about that storm that they couldn't know unless they got in that eye wall of that storm. And they tell us that that eye will determine the direction of the storm. Can I say it like this? I guess the eye is in control of the storm. Can I tell you this? Jesus is the eye of our storm. Yes, sir, he is in control of the storm. He determines where it's going to go. He determines how bad it's going to be. Can I just say it like this? He is the eye of the storm. And then they tell us this. You know, there's what? A category one, two, three, four, and five. And they tell us this, that uh, obviously the higher the number, the more ferocious, the more fierce the storm. They also tell us this, no matter how violent that storm is, if you can get into the eye, all is calm in the eye. Some of those eyes are so big. I heard about this guy in South Carolina. This preacher friend of mine was telling me about a guy down in South Carolina that they went when they went through Hurricane Hugo. And he said, when they went through that hurricane, he said, that, that man, that storm come in, and it blew and blew and blew. And he said, man, I thought it was going to blow. He said, I was holding the door to keep it from blowing off the hinges, hanging on to that door. And then he said, all of a sudden, he said, it just got calm. He said, it was so calm. He said, it got so calm, and so still I walked out and looked up, and he said, you could see the stars. He said, I hollered in the, in the house, said, Honey, it's over, come on out. And he said he thought it was over. But he said it went long until that eye done passed over. And here come the second part of that storm. And he said the second part was much more worse than the first part. But in the eye of the storm, everything is completely calmed. Boy, aren't you glad we got an eye of our storm? And no matter how bad, how severe things are, in fact, they tell us this, no matter how violent those waves are, if you could just go down a few miles into that water, it's just as calm as it can be. I would have said all that to say this. I'm glad I got an eye in my storm. It is I. be not afraid. Hey, everything's calm. He's in control. He's guiding this thing. He's running the show. And thank God I got an eye in the middle of my storm. The Lord sins, and the Lord sees, and the Lord speaks in the storm. But here's another thing in this text. Not only does he do that, but number four, the Lord saves in the storm. While the Bible said in verse number 27, when he come walking, he said, hey, be a good cheer, it's I, be not afraid. And Peter answered him, look at verse 28, and said, Lord, if it be thou, bid me come unto thee on the water. And he said, come. Now, in our text, here's old impetuous Peter. He says, Lord, if it's really you, let me come out there and walk around with you. The Lord said, Peter, come on. And Peter stepped out on that boat, stepped out of the boat, and look at me. He didn't step on the water. He stepped on the promises of God. God said, come. Peter, became the only earthly human being that I know of who ever walked on the water. And then we know what happened. He took his eyes off the Lord. Can I tell you, during the time of a storm, don't get your eyes off the Lord. Keep your eyes on the Lord. Stay in church. Let me give you three great truths about what to do in a time of a storm. Number one, stay in church. Number two, stay in church. And then number three, you guessed it, stay in church. When the storms come in your life, don't give up on God hey, hey, old Peter said, Lord, if it's you, bid me, come unto me. And, and, and Jesus said, come on, Peter. And Peter stepped out of that boat, not on the water, but he stepped on the word. And he started walking on the water. And then he took his eyes off the Savior. And the Bible said there, if you'll look at verse 29, Peter's come out of the boat, he walked on the water. When he saw the winds, boisterous, verse 30, he was afraid, beginning to sink, he cried, saying, and here's a, here's a good prayer to pray in a storm, Lord. Listen to this. Guys, write this outline down. I just, I just got this one this afternoon. Three of the shortest prayers prayed in the Bible. Three of them. Number one, Lord, search me. Psalms 139. Number two, Isaiah, Isaiah 6. Lord, send me. And here in our text, Peter said, Lord, save me. How's that for alliteration? I didn't even come up with that on my own. God had that put in his Bible. You don't think the Lord likes rated preaching? Lord, search. Well, we ought to pray that prayer, everyone. What a good, quick prayer to pray. Before you head off to work, Lord, search me. God, if there's anything in my life that's contrary to your word or your will, point it out, God. I'll confess it. I'll get it right. Lord, search me. And Lord, send me. Here am I, Lord. Hey, you've cleaned me up. You pointed it out. I'm ready to go wherever you want me to go. Lord, send me. And bless your heart. I'll tell you a good prayer to pray when you get in the storm is, Lord, save me. You say, preacher, wait a minute. I'm already saved. Well, I'll tell you, I don't know about you, but I get in the storm, I need to get saved all over again. I know I'm saved for time and eternity. I believe that. We believe that, don't we? I believe that, we believe that, don't we? That when God saves you, it's with an eternal, everlasting salvation. But I don't know about y'all, but when I get in the storm, I need to get saved. I need for the Lord. I'm not talking about being saved from my sins. I'm not talking about going back and receiving Jesus again. Once it's enough, but I'll tell you, when I get in the storm, I need somebody to reach down. Hey, I'm seeking. It's over my head. I'm about to go down for the last time. Thank God there's one who can reach me and pull me up and save me. Lord, sa- The Lord saves. He shows us two things that we need when we get in the time of the storm. You know what those two things we need when we get in the storm from, from what Peter did right here. We, number one, we need a promise, and number two, we need a prayer. You're going to make it through your storm, get you a promise. You're going to make it through your storm, get you a prayer. Whatever it is, Lord, save. I don't know about y'all, but I ask the Lord to save me all the time. Maybe not from my sins, but to save me from the storms. How about y'all? You ever get in trouble? Some of y'all are so spiritual, you don't never get in trouble. And I get all that, and that's fine. I wish I was like you. But I'm not. I ain't made it yet. I'm a work in progress. I'm under construction. I got orange barrels sitting all around me, and you can't even see them up here tonight. God said, Keep away under construction. Slow down. This guy's crazy. He don't know what he's doing. And that's me. But I'm glad I got a Savior. And bless your heart when those storms get high and get over my head. I'm glad I got a Savior. All I got to do, hey, I don't have to pray some eloquent prayer. Hey, I don't have to dot my eyes and cross my T's theologically. I don't even have to lift my voice. All I got to do is just say, Lord, save me. He knows what I mean. And just like Peter, he reaches down and pulls me out. I got me a promise, and I got me a prayer. You know, I can see old Peter when he gets back in the road, he's ringing wet. And all of them other disciples are in there probably making fun of him. He's a little broken and embarrassed by the whole episode. But somebody once said this, a defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you proud. Can I have an amen? He may have crawled back into that boat humbled and embarrassed. He may have been humiliated by the whole episode, but a, a defeat that leaves you humble is better than a victory that leaves you full of pride. The Lord, the Lord saves. And last of all, can I say this? The Lord, help me, the Lord sins, the Lord sees, the Lord speaks, the Lord saves. And then number five, the Lord steals. You say steals. Yeah, he steals the storm. Look what we read in our text. The Bible said there after this great episode, Verse 32, when they were coming to the ship, the wind ceased. Then they that were in the ship came and worshiped him, saying of a truth, Thou art the Son of God. God lets us go into these episodes of life. I don't even like to call them this because I hear so many liberal preachers use this word anymore. But I guess I can and you'll know what I mean. But we all go through those seasons of life. Why is it the liberals use that word all the time? Joel Osteen in that crowd. I agree with Brother Mark about the Catholics this morning. If somebody gets mad about that, they don't need to come back no way. Can I have an amen? I'm too old now, and that's why I got to, y'all got to pray for me, but I'm 60 years old, and I don't even care anymore. I used to think I could help everybody. I could reach everybody, and I could save everybody. And I found out I can't do that anymore, and I'm to the point I don't even want to try no more. If you like Woodland, wonderful, and if you don't like it, there's several churches up the road you can go to. And I love y'all, and I don't want you to go, but I'm just trying to say, if you're going to get mad and stomp out of here during preaching, or you're going to get mad and call the church and raise a ruckus, go somewhere else. You see, I don't want to be here. Well, look at me. I love you, but I don't want you here. This place ain't for everybody. Can I have an amen? amen? This ain't for everybody. Excuse my English. It isn't for everyone. Amen. Amen. But if you want a place, you've got a place. Amen. Can I have an amen? amen. Stomp out of here over, over Catholics? Are you kidding me? What's up with that? Who cares? I think the Baptists are liars too, don't y'all? Most of them. But I ain't going to get mad and stomp out of church over something like that. Good night. What in the world? But if you don't want to be here, you don't have to be. I love you. I want you here. How did I get off on this? Can so- Lord, save me. I am in a mess. I've done God in over my head, Lord. Help me. The Lord steals. When they got in the boat, there was a great calm. I don't know about y'all, but I don't understand how that works because when I've seen storms come up, I live right now in front of a, it's either a big pond or a small lake. And I've seen them storms, I I can't tell which, but I've seen them storms already come through here. And even after the wind quits blowing, that water's still sloshing everywhere. But when Jesus got on that boat, not only did the wind cease, but the waves laid down. You explain that one, Bubba. That's amazing that our God can do something like that. He can steal the storm. You know why? Because he's the eye of our storm. So, whatever you're going through tonight, God may have put you there. Satan may be trying to destroy your faith. You may have made some dumb decisions that brought that storm upon you, but I'm glad the Lord sees. I'm glad the Lord speaks. I'm glad the Lord saves. And I'm glad the Lord steals. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for.